The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where throughout 2021, we're going to be working hard to be your public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate business. And this is your year, right? You just got finished making all your New Year's resolutions, and if you're listening, one of them had probably had something to do with going to do a deal, I'm going to do more deals, I'm going to find some private lenders, I'm going to learn how to do a different kind of deal, I'm going to... I'm going to sock away some money for the potential foreclosure boom that might be coming up in 2021. You probably made some sort of resolution regarding how 2021 was going to be different in the real estate arena than 2020 was. Well, that's what we are here for. And in planning out this year, I went back through my... um, long, 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 long archive of listener questions that have come in to uh, askvina at gmail.com and looked at what some of the common threads were in those questions over the whole of the last couple of years. And one thing that really stuck out that sort of surprised me was there were a lot of questions regarding negotiation, negotiation strategies, how do you how do you approach certain negotiation situations? Um, what, what is the what is what are some general philosophies about how to how to negotiate? And a lot of them seem to be very concerned with particularly seller negotiation. The reason I say it was somewhat surprising is that in I've lost count of the years that we've been doing this show, over 20. Um, That has not been a a topic that has received a lot of listener attention. It's not something that I had historically gotten a lot of questions about. And um, yet in the last 12 months, it's just been, you know, a lot of the questions have been around that. So uh, always here to try to get you the information you actually want and need to progress in your real estate business. Decided that first show of the year will be all about negotiation. And to help me out with that, uh, I have brought in by phone 
Uh, my partner, Mr. Drew, familiar to real life real estate listeners from various fun drives, the occasional showing up and doing the show in my place, usually with um, results that uh, didn't make me happy from where I was listening across the country because I don't know, there was one about I had a mutant sixth toe or something just stuff happens when drew hosts the show that is completely untrue uh but also uh, mr drew has been investing in real estate for 30 years he has made a huge amount of the money he has made uh strictly by out negotiating all of you by being a better negotiator with the same sellers buyers private lenders tenants etc uh, than his competition has. So it seemed like a good time to bring him on, um, encourage him to behave himself because he's not in the studio and Mike does have a mute button and to welcome him to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Mr. Drew, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Why, thank you, Bina. It's certainly a pleasure to join you by phone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, too far in the behaving. <laughs> so, well, I appreciate you giving the people what they want, which is more mystery. <laughs> okay, so we've got to somehow find the line between sounding like a maitre d' at a restaurant and yeah. sounding like it's just you and me on the phone and not, you know, 10,000 people listening. So I, I was really going for sommelier, but I'll, I'll accept maitre d'. <laughs> Um, that was it was that was unexpected i will i will say that um so let's um this is a hard thing to tackle in i mean realistically 42 minutes is is what we have here on the show so i do want to start out with just the 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 basic i don't know misunderstanding that a lot of people come into real estate with about what what you mean when you say negotiation i think i think folks are you know they hear that they they get very numbers focused like somehow a good negotiator is the one who offers the most money or beats the seller down to the lowest price it's it's a very like i think it's a very numerical thing in people's heads and you don't see it that way at all no i don't i mean i i joke that the essence of negotiation is just beating your opponent to death like you were mugging them in a parking garage. And because that's kind of what people expect, um, that it's this real, you know, tooth and claw kind of conflict. And, and I think that we'll get into this a little bit later, but I suspect but um, that's not what, that's not what negotiation is about, and that's why people are, are often uncomfortable with it. And and I've seen they, you I've seen you make that joke in class after class after class. And I look out at the students, and they're furiously writing down, "Beat the other guy down." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Always carry a pipe wrench with you, you know, just, just in case. Um, uh, well, and so I'm I'm a big believer in kind of conflict-free negotiation. And so one of one of my secret weapons, if you will, I mean, I don't want to sound like it's 
you know, some insider secret that you have to join my cult to learn about, though you'd learn a lot in my cult. Um, I'm joking, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me apologize to Vino right now because I she warns me that that kind of humor doesn't go doesn't transmit over the radio. Um, so one of the one of the sort of inside tips here is when I am talking to the seller, I kind of lay out my process to them, where I say, "This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to." figure out what the property will be worth all fixed up. I'm going to figure out how much money it's going to take to make it all fixed up. And then I'm just going to do some arithmetic and that's going to tell me how much I'm able to offer you. And if that number is good, or you can at least live with it, we'll sign a contract and we'll close as fast or as slow as you want. If you just can't live with the number no one's mad, you know, we'll be fine. Okay, fair enough. It, it's just business, you know, and, you know, I'll just wish you the best and we'll go on our way. And when I say that to them, oftentimes, like, uh, with no exaggeration, they visibly relax because they it, that, that kind of makes it clear to them that it's not going to be you know, this, this battle of words and will where I'm trying to trick them or embarrass them or harass them or, you know, anything like that. So a lot, but the, the key to every successful negotiation, um, probably the primary key is rapport building. And this is true. We're, we're going to talk a lot about negotiating with sellers, but it's sellers, buyers, tenants, contractors, private lenders, you know, whatever, um, building rapport and then finding out what they really want because everyone wants cash, right? Everyone wants cash right now. That's what they say. That is almost never the case. What they want is the relief of something that the cash is going to be able to buy them or give them or that the, the pile of cash represents to them. So in a lot of cases, there's another way of giving them that relief without necessarily giving them a pile of cash or as much cash as they thought they needed or whatever. And Or maybe the answer is they just need a pile of cash. But don't assume that without finding out. Don't just go, well, everyone wants cash and what do I care? You care because there's a whole world of possibility out there where maybe cash isn't the answer, or if it is the answer, you need to know that too. So that establishing common ground and actually being able to communicate with the seller right away as early as possible and as often as possible, and it's an ongoing process, is probably the biggest key to all negotiation as far as I'm concerned. I know if you, I didn't want to take over your show. So yeah. I, I, I could go on, but I want to give you a chance to insert a word. You, no, <laughs> or, you, you know, praise. No, you didn't. Some flip, some switch flipped in your brain that said, I should probably at this point let Vina say something, which is good. I'm, I'm glad you found that switch. So, delightful. So, lots of people 
think that negotiation focuses on the numbers. You're saying it's much more focused on getting people comfortable enough that they will tell you what is really going on and then you deciding whether it's really the numbers or not. Yeah. So, so here's here's like one of the ironies of this. If if I could come up with magic words to say to a seller, I want you to be straightforward and and kind of disarmed, like not um, not hiding any of your own motives. Just tell me the absolute truth about what you need and maybe what you want, and then. I will give you as much of what you want as I can, and we'll just see if those things overlap. Um, then it would be a much more straightforward process. But what I've discovered is sellers are guarded because they think it's going to be this whole confrontational thing. And in a tremendous number of cases, they have not even thought about what they want. What they know they want is, and I'm not talking about necessarily raw dollars but they they have this idea that what i want is a pile of money and i want that pile of money of money to be as big as possible and they may even have like a formed number or half formed number in mind but that is as far as they have thought about it so this is actually kind of a process of investigation to find out you know, as the classic line goes, well, if I if I brought you a briefcase full of money, what would you then do with it? Well, I have to retire this medical debt, or um, is it too early for a story? <laughs> well, it's 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 too close to break time for a story is the problem. Okay. So I've, I've I've made a note on where we are here. So that we can pick up the conversation after we break. I also want to encourage listeners, if you have a negotiation issue going on, if you're in a negotiation with a seller, you just finished this negotiation with a seller and you felt like you could have handled it better or that there's something you were missing that if, if you had done something then you're not sure what it was, you might have made the deal. How about telling us about it today? You can call and talk to Mr. Drew directly at 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658, which if you want to have a back and forth about it is the best thing to do. If you can summarize it in an email, you can send that email to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and my guest today is Mr. Drew. We're talking about negotiation because that was a weirdly often um, requested, uh, wasn't re the requested that we do a show about it. There's a lot of questions were about negotiation in the last 12 months. And we spent the first part of the show trying to trying to get your brain around something really important which is if you think negotiation is about the numbers you're you're just taking the wrong approach to start with it's not about beating down the seller or convincing him that your number is the right number or whatever there's actually a whole series of things that Mr. Drew mentioned it's about 
building rapport to find out what the seller is really in pain about before you even talk numbers. A seller who's not in pain about anything probably is all about the numbers. And there's no use even negotiating with them. I have a great house in a great area. I'm not in a hurry to sell it. I'm happy with it. But if you'd give me $900,000 for it, I'd probably sell it. Why are you going to spend any time like in an actual negotiation with that seller? Making the seller feel heard about what they say they want, telling the seller what you can do for them and making it fit as well as you can with what they have said that they really want. And then the thing we didn't get to that we're going to talk about that's a, that's an important, important, crucial, crucial, crucial part of negotiation is following up. And Mr. Drew, you mentioned a couple of times that trying to pull out of the seller what they really want can be difficult. And you said it's because a lot of times they're kind of guarded because they're, well, not to put too fine a point of on it, they're more scared of the negotiation than you are. They have the same idea that it's going to be about the numbers and you're going to try and beat them down and da-da-da. So they, they, they tend to start out guarded. But my experience is that the reason, one of the hugest reasons sellers don't tell you what they really want is they don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. They, they haven't thought about it in terms of you know, needs and wants. And uh, it it never it simply never occurs to them, and this isn't you know criticism at, at all, but it never occurs to them that there is more than one path to get to this you know nebulous ending of what they want because they because they live in a box that says the 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 way the way one sells a house is one looks at price. Yeah, it's, of course. It's you know. So the, the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Um, the the key for somebody to become a really skilled real estate negotiator is don't get in that box with them. No, <laughs> no, know that they're that that box that that box is just a construct based on their kind of limited knowledge of how of all the different ways that a real estate deal can work. I mean, they don't know. They have no reason to know. They're not in the business your job is to know that sure I can give you $900,000 for your house. That's only worth 120,000. Absolutely. I can do that. I will give you $1 a month. I will give you $1 a month for 900,000 months. The seller, the seller can, the seller typically cannot think their way out of what's a big problem. Cause they don't know things like short sales and subject twos and terms offers and, um, well, I, I need, I need this to pay off a medical bill. How much is the medical bill? 50,000. Okay. So if I could negotiate it down to 30, that means you could take 30 cause you're selling the house for the medical bill. The important thing is not 50,000. It's how much is the medical bill? If I can negotiate the medical bill down to $30,000 and the hospital says you're off the hook, it's off your credit report. Then can I pay $30,000 for your house? Right. They That's would... exactly correct. Yeah, and that that's a great example. That that's one of the two that that I commonly use to kind of emphasize that point. So to really solve the seller's problem, 
and this is doing yourself a service and doing the seller a service as well, is find out what they're actually trying to achieve. Even if they can't come out and say it, have a conversation, listen, like actually listen, don't just wait to speak, find out what their end goal is, and then see if there's another way to solve it. Like in the example you just used, if someone's got a five or six figure medical bill, those can always be negotiated, always in my experience, um, and, and often a huge discount. So fine, if, they, if their goal is I need to sell this house to pay this $50,000 medical bill, then you're absolutely correct that the way to kind of position this is so you're willing to trade the house for the medical bill. And if I can make it, if I can make this deal work for me by discounting the medical bill at no negative consequence to you, then you're willing to do that. And, you know, the odds are they are. Mm -hmm. And so you've stepped outside the box completely. There is no spoon. As Tina famously said. I thought you were just about to step on Bill Cook's trademark and say there is no box. No, it's wet box. Wet box is the thing yeah, he always says. exactly. Wet box. Uh-huh. So do you, have, do, you, uh, do you have any opinion on why there's been this sudden rush of interest in negotiation? It seems like everybody thinks that being a good negotiator is an edge they want now that they didn't want five years ago. Sure. Like, like almost everything, I have an opinion. Um, the, the, everyone's interested in it now, and where they are wrong is they should have been interested in it all along. Um, it's, we're, we're in a particular market now, but it's always been important. Like the, Everyone's all interested in the seller negotiation side now, but they should have been interested in the buyer negotiation, in the contractor negotiation, in the tenant negotiation, in the private lender negotiation, in the spousal negotiation, you know, in the negotiation with the kids or, you know, whatever, uh, all of it. And, and, and you follow a lot of the same rules for all of it. Um, but it's just that right now, seller negotiation seems particularly important because we're being driven by some market forces. Suddenly, the inventory is shrunk, as we know both sides of the real estate market have shrunk a little bit. Um, so there is not uh, uh, the abundance of inventory out there, and the competition for that inventory is really high. And the, you can't just negotiate using numbers when you are negotiating against people who can just natively pay more than you can. Like if you're a wholesaler, and I'm going to assume that everyone broadly knows what wholesaling is uh, because they're your audience, um, then you're never going to be able to pay as much as an informed rehabber because you've got to make money in the middle there, right? So the the rehabber is logically always going to pay a little more than, than you can. Um, or, and remember, you're also negotiating against, you know, the pack of idiots, <laughs> the, the people who will overpay or will attempt to overpay and either screw up a wholesale deal or it won't appraise or what have you. You're, you're, 
you're negotiating against a certain percentage of your competition who are not as well educated as you are and therefore unable to, to come to the same conclusions as you. Does that make sense? Yes. And, and patience is a piece of, of negotiation strategy that not enough real estate investors exercise. And I think you're going to, I think you're going to comment on that when you, when we talk about negotiation mistakes that people make. Indeed. How many, how many times have you said on the radio or on stage or whatever, don't be a motivated liar. Right. Yeah. And patience is all part of that game. And like the thing you said earlier about following up, which, you know, which we hadn't quite gotten to, um, sometimes you just have to let the market teach a lesson and that you make an offer and it gets rejected and you follow up and then you follow up and then you follow up in, in our business, we follow up until either the property sells to someone else or the seller says, do not contact me anymore. <laughs> and you sometimes know, but, we even follow up after that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just in case and and we'll talk yeah. we'll talk we'll talk hopefully a little bit about how that follow-up looks because it's not hey my offer is still open uh, that which seems to be I don't know what some people take from that idea of follow-up I would like to go to some listener questions though mr. drew uh, and mm -hmm. again listeners who have specific negotiation type questions Eight seven 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 two nine six five eight, or send them to askvina at gmail dot com, as Mark did. Mark says, "I'm struggling with getting creative finance deals." Now, listen to this carefully, Mister Drew. Since sellers don't want to trust a stranger to take over their mortgage payments for subject to deals or do owner financing, and then the question he asked was, can you give some tips on how to sound credible and convincing with this kind of seller? But I think this is an example of not quite 100% understanding the approach here. Because sure. it, it feels um, a little bit like what Mark is asking is, like, what do I say? What do I give them in writing? What do I, how do I convince this kind of seller who doesn't want to trust a stranger to take over their mortgage payments or do owner financing. And I, I think maybe Mark that a whole, a whole change in your approach to this is maybe in order, but Drew might not agree with me. So let's find out. Well, there, to my mind, there are kind of two parts to this. One is a truly motivated seller is going to agree. <laughs> um, the I remember the first time I saw someone agree to a subject two deal, um, and uh, I remember that sometime too. When, <laughs> what? I remember that too. Yeah, because I said it would never, ever, ever happen, <laughs> and then you were like, "Let's just try it." There's no downside. I know I've I've taken my lashes for that over the years. God knows, but. Um, kind of full full props to Vina for you know the insisting on on that idea. So you know a, a really motivated seller is going to agree to anything short of 
you know, and you can have the kids too. And when you speak to someone who's actually motivated, it, it's like, you know, the, uh, a whole new vista just opened up in front of you. Okay. Now, so there so, is some so ground, let me, let me, let me, you know? let me summarize, summarize this as we go along for Mark. Thing okay. number one is, are you actually finding out that they have a problem? Because if they don't have a problem, why would they agree to anything you wanted them to do? Why would they agree to anything different than full price and all cash? Okay, go on. Agreed. Okay. So there there are a whole bunch of people who fall into the in-between category where they're not willing to give you, you know, the dog and the riding mower and, you know, the youngest, you know, kid uh, with with your offer. Uh, but they're not just like, oh, I'm perfectly happy and I've got no motivation at all. Probably the majority of the people that we speak to for whom this might be a fit is they're interested in it as a concept, but they're just nervous about it. And so I know people talk a lot about credibility packages and, you know, referrals or or, uh, not referrals, pardon me, references. And that has place in the world, certainly. But if you've never done a subject to, then you don't have any, you know, references that they can check to find out if you perform on a subject to. So that can be a problem. So my approach is again thus. It's it's very it's very plain. It's very straightforward. I explain to the seller in the simplest terms that I can what my own incentive is. Because people understand that kind of thing. People understand incentives, especially when explained simply. So in our kind of latest subject to deal that you and I are working on, Vina, the, the big house, uh, I don't know if I should name street names, but the big house by the dog park. Yes. Um, if you recall kind of the wife was kind of for it and the husband was kind of against it. And I went and met with both of them. And what I said was, here's how you know I'm going to perform because I don't make any money on this for years. This deal only works for me in the long term. When I, when I first buy this house, and I'm making the mortgage payments, all I'm doing is hemorrhaging money into the house, tens of thousands of dollars in, you know, improvements and repairs and what have you. I don't start to profit anything for ages and ages and ages. So if I stop making your payments and you get the house back, which is something, you know, whatever, I said to him, we'll talk about that in a minute, but all I've done is lost money, you know, in, in repairs and upgrades. And that's not my business model. So you can be certain that I am going to make your payment every month on time and in full because I dare not screw this up in some way because then I have wasted, thrown away huge amounts of money. And that makes sense to, to them. That's, that's what got them to agree to this this whole idea because when laid out plainly before them most people like to hide their own self-interest like it's it's something shameful you know my motivations especially my profit motivations 
you know, are shameful. And I don't like to discuss profit directly, but saying, you know, hey, here's why you can be assured that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do because I'm completely incentivized to and I'm counter-incentivized not to. And they go, well, okay, I guess that makes sense. The guy wouldn't be in the business he's in to, you know, burn tens of thousands of dollars on a deal that he's not going to make work. And that is that is what convinced that particular seller. Mark, I think you've Mm -hmm. maybe, I could be wrong and you can email me back and tell me if I am, but I think maybe you have a more basic problem with that than that, which is that you are assuming that every seller doesn't want to do a subject to deal with you because they don't want to trust a stranger to make mortgage payments. What is the specific, what is the specific objection? Because different sellers have different objections. Sometimes that's exactly it. Sometimes you are a hundred percent right. And the seller says, I talked to my whatever. And they said, don't do this because if you don't make the payments, my credit will be ruined. Okay. That's a different objection. And the way you would overcome that would be by saying, well, my attorney has set up this thing that you can talk to your attorney about, and it involves a land trust, and it basically says, if I get 30 days late in your payment, you get the house back. What, does that, if, if, if your attorney reads that and says that that is, what, in fact, what it says, would that make you want to do this? And if not, what's the next thing? I honestly think, I, I honestly think that half the sellers out there for whom the subject to would be the absolute best thing. Like they're overfinanced. They'd have to pay to sell their house. They're already a payment behind and their credit's getting ruined. It would actually be better for them to get caught up and have the payments made for the next 10 years than to not. It's because you jargoned them to death. You, you, you explained it in a way that they didn't understand it. And they are most human beings are not willing to say, I have no idea what you just said. Because, you know, you said it like they should know and they feel stupid and blah, blah, blah. So that thing about uh, explaining it in very simple terms is important. You have to be willing to hear what the real objection is. Don't don't you get in the box of this person's not doing this because they don't trust me because I'm a stranger. Because that may not be it at all. You have to say, why would you not do this? Like, what about this scares you? And let them tell you and listen and then figure out how to overcome that And I would also say, Mark, before we take this break, why are you a stranger by the time you are getting around to suggesting taking over their payments? Yeah, they should like you by that point. Yeah, so... so, And I mean that sincerely. They should not just feel like, oh, he's professional and seems to know what he's doing. They should like you. They should feel like you are on their side trying to work out a problem, not like you're a stranger. They they let strangers cut into their chests and put stents in their hearts. They let strangers police their neighborhood. They let they, they trust strangers to do all kinds of stuff that's a whole lot more risky than taking over their mortgage payment. Don't 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 get that into your head that it's because you know people don't trust strangers to do stuff. We need to take a quick break. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking about negotiation with Mr. Drew, 877-772-9658, or askvina at gmail.com with your questions. 
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. I would be remiss if I did not mention that y'all need to go to CincinnatiRia.com and register to grab a link for tomorrow night's first RIA meeting of the year. It's it's, uh, somewhat tangentially related to what we are talking about today. Um, because meeting number one at six o'clock is about how to find and work with private lenders. Another big hot topic. And it's going to be partly about like, how do you, how do you start to talk terms with private lenders once you have met them and built rapport with them, build your relationship, connection with them. And in the main meeting at 7.15 is about how to win the real estate game. That's all I'm telling you. It's about, it's, it's how to win the real estate game. I'm giving that presentation. I've been working on it for two weeks. And it's, it's, it's serious. It's not like a joking presentation. It's like, it's like you're going to get dealt cards. There's, there's a path. It, there's a way to win and there's a way to win quicker and there's a bunch of ways to lose and going to lay all of those out. It is online. So you could attend from any place in the country. You just have to go to Cincinnati com, click on the meeting link, make a, make a, you know, registration on the website. If you haven't done that before and we'll send you a uh, way to get into the zoom meeting tomorrow night. So uh, Mr. Drew, we're just going to have to throw our carefully planned agenda to the wind because I'm getting a whole bunch of listener questions that are better than anything you and I had planned. And uh, we're kind of in a lightning round here now because we don't have a, a bunch of time left and I want to, I want to get to these question for Mark. What is the, what are the best questions to get to the pain point or motivation from the sellers when we talk to them? Now, why would you sell a nice house like this? <laughs> okay. I totally lifted that line from Pete Fortunato. Um, so, uh, but sometimes you can't use it because it's really not at all a nice house. Um, <laughs> so I am, I am a big believer in starting with very general questions and then based on those answers, slowly focusing in on specific. So you start with the general and lead to the specific. My opening question is almost always so tell me tell me the situation you know just, just tell me what's going on and that will they will invariably when if i say to you bina well okay you know so what's your name what's your address you know what's your let me confirm your phone number so you're interested in selling tell me the situation the next couple sentences out of your mouth will tell me what is important to you about that situation. And it's, it's rarely, you know, about repairs or, you know, whatever. If you say, my nephew moved into that house 18 months ago to fix it up for me, I know exactly what your point, pain point is. You know, I, I, I've seen it unfold a million times. So something like that, some real general opening opening question like that is is my go-to because you're going to tell me. And I'm also going to, those next couple of sentences are also going to tell you whether I'm a motivated seller or not. 
because sure, if, because if, if they say, well, I got I got your postcard, so I figured what the heck, I'd call. Mm-hmm. Not yeah, a motivated seller. Not a great sign. <laughs> not, not a motivated seller. And your next job as the investor is to see if you're wrong. But if you're not, which you're probably not, it's to just tell them the truth. Uh, you know, what I what I do is I work with sellers, I, I work with properties that are in distressed conditions or distressed situations and are priced accordingly. And I don't think that's you. Am I am I right? That's not you. And they say, oh, no, my house is great. I'm not, it's not distressed at all. And no, I'm not in a distressed situation. Well, then I think my best recommendation to you is list with a real estate agent because that's where you're going to get the highest and best price quickest. And if that's what's important to you, which I assume it is, pause for response, uh, then I've got a couple of great agents I could recommend for you. Or they start in on the facts of the house. Well, it's a it's a beautiful uh, thirty six hundred square foot uh, five bedroom on an acre of land, and um, it was just updated two years ago. The the story they're telling you is not a story about themselves; it's a story about the property. Probably not a motivated seller. But yeah, the ones the ones who just like then do a brain dump. Oh, well, I don't know where to start. Let me see. My husband bought this house in 1977, and I didn't want him to because I didn't want to be a landlord. And but and then he kept it, and it was nothing but a pain in the butt until last year. And then he died, and now I absolutely can't keep up with it. And I don't want to. Now you got a story. Mm-hmm. Now now you know that there's a potentially motivated seller. So um, tell me the story is a really good one. Um, how did you arrive at that price is a good one. When do you need to sell by? And what happens if you don't sell by then is a really good so question. Let me, let me put an exclamation point on that last question because a lot of people, again, have not thought that through. They've not thought through to that point. It's Even if they have a price in mind and even if they have kind of a, a pseudo plan, the question, so what happens if it doesn't sell for that price or by then or both? You know, what, what, what's plan B? Uh, a lot of times that makes them realize, like, we're not trying to trick them, we're not trying to score points off them, but it makes them realize that they do not have a plan B. And, you know, that's kind of, that can be kind of eye-opening for them as well. I think one of the key things is is don't don't talk so much about yourself and what you want and what you want to do. Ask a lot of questions because you, you never know which ones are going to be the big reveal about what's really going on here. And, you know, people somewhat like to talk about themselves. So asking questions is usually not a dangerous strategy. Uh, question from Freddie. I've been going back and forth with an out-of-state seller of a vacant property that he's selling because he has health problems. He lives on the West Coast. He has to get the agreement of his spouse before committing to an amount. How do you handle situations where you haven't been able to communicate with all of the decision makers? In the meantime, other wholesalers have offered more than I have on the property. It's only a $3,000 difference. Should I stand by my offer? Oh, Freddie, it's possible this guy's playing you. No, he's not. Sure. He's, he's old and I he mean... has health problems. Um, okay. <laughs> But I mean, he's not sharp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
so we we deal with that all the time. It's it's not necessarily the case that when there's there's a husband and wife or spouses of some kind uh, who both have an ownership interest that they're both communicating with us full time. Uh, but um, normally, the one who has taken the initiative to pick up the phone or fill out the web form or whatever, fine, you're going to be content with dealing with them until it becomes obvious that you, you need to include something. The, the key that I would say in general is if you are going to offer anything that is not straightforward, um, like simply, okay, this many dollars as quick as you like, but it's a, you know, subject to or a land contract or something that is, that is more complicated than just price. When you explain it to the party that you're talking to, keep in mind that they are then going to try to explain it to their partner. So be extra careful, reiterate, give them, without saying as much, give them some talking points or quotes that they can use to explain it to the third party Put it in and maybe say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to follow up with an email mm-hmm. that, that lays it out. So they, they can actually share that with the other, with the other person. So you can use your own language. Do you want me to comment on the whole, there are wholesalers who are offering $3,000 more, blah, blah, blah. Well, that actually was on our list of things to talk about. So Yes. Okay, so the this is a people business, but it's also a numbers business. And I think that you you run the risk of driving yourself crazy uh, by through incrementalism. You know, the math is what the math is, and you're not going to be able to compete with everyone on numbers. Like we said, you're dealing with other parties who might be able to pay more than you or who know less than you or who are just being unethical in some way and they intend to get an agreement and beat them down later. So don't worry so much. When you can't compete on price, what you compete on is service. And that means that you have to be the full. Vina, I know you personally have had this experience where a seller has gotten multiple offers from different investors And they have told you that, and they have told you specifically, I got another offer that was higher than yours, but I want to deal with you. And you didn't get that kind of response by being, you know, distant or nasty or coldly professional or whatever. You got that response by letting, by showing the seller that you are actually working for a solution that solved everybody's issue that met everybody's needs and establishing some trust. And, you know, that's kind of the short answer to that. Yes. You know, okay. Um, maybe, maybe I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, uh, Mike is, Mike is holding up fingers that I think mean we are running out of time. Um, so Freddie, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a line that you might, use and you can you don't need to write it down because this show will be posted at real life real estate.com in i don't know three or four days 
if you actually believe that he's got other offers from other wholesalers at a higher price, I would say, well, Mr. Seller, listen, you and your wife need to do what's best for you with the people that with, with, with people that you trust most. So I would say to you that if you decide to accept one of these other offers and it it falls through in 30 or 45 days, which it's honestly likely to, because honestly that guy's offering you too much money and I don't think he's going to be able to close it. I am here for you. If you have any questions about, you know, another offer, I'm, I'm happy to go over it with you and, you know, see if there's any gotchas in there that you might not recognize. Um, let me know what you want to do and I will call you back in a week and see where you are and then I'll call you back in a couple of weeks after that and make sure everything's going okay because I want I want you to get this problem solved even if I'm not the one who solves it but um, just want to let you know that just because you got an offer from somebody doesn't mean it's going to show up in writing or that it's actually going to close and you do it with me it's going to show up in writing it's going to close that would be my approach for rapport building and yet not going up over your maximum allowable offer um, we, we got one minute. Okay. We've got literally 60 seconds, Drew, for the folks out there who are listening to all this and going, yeah, that's great, but I'm really uncomfortable with negotiation and I just don't think I can do any of this. Would you like to lay down the Drew challenge? Yes. First of all, you know, kind of, kind of man up a little bit or woman up as the case may be. The Drew challenge is you need to kind of inure yourself. You need to develop a callus on that nerve that says, oh, I hate negotiation. It makes me uncomfortable. And I know culturally we're not very comfortable with negotiation. So for the next two weeks, I want you to negotiate everything in your life, everything, Uh, the price of subscriptions, the price of groceries, who's going to take out the trash, Um, every instance, big or small. And you don't have to be deadly serious about it. But actually, you know, follow through with it because this is the kind of thing that you get comfortable with through repeated exposure. So if you will, if you will do that and actually follow through with it, you will find yourself a succeeding more than you thought you would and b realizing that failing didn't actually kill you. We'll do this again and actually get through our agenda at some point later in 2021. Thank you for joining me, Mr. Drew. You've been listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.